Please accept my recording. I did accept your recording. Thank you. From my background, can you tell the the who I am covering in my conspiracy theory this month? I do you need me to move? Yeah. No, but I know, like, I feel like I know who this is, but I can't like name them and it's bothering me. <laughs> Yay, good. We are going to cover, or I'm going to cover in my conspiracy theory this month in July, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Ah, it's an old timey picture. It's uh-huh. why I'm like, who? Yeah. I'm like, who I know his that? faces. Yeah. It yeah. is driving me crazy. I know, and I can't quite nice. figure out like how to like position myself so that you can see <laughs> fully who it is. <laughs> if you keep spinning around your office chair, that's good. Yeah. 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 Good, good, good. I have a very tiny area that I can move around in. So yeah. So I'm covering Ed and Lorraine Warren uh in my July uh conspiracy theory. And it's a conspiracy simply because they're very controversial, right? They we have covered, sure. yeah, for sure. Um, we have covered a number of locations and hauntings that they have been a part of in this podcast. And um, yeah, some of it is kind of up for interpretation. Some of it is, uh, you know, legit. They're kind of giants in the paranormal community. I mean, they really, they really like are. started to put it on the map in a, yes. in a real way. In a very, very, very real way. Yeah. So um, let's talk about uh, the life and career of Ed and Lorraine Warren. I got my um, information from Courant.com, TonySpera.com, Cosmopolitan.com. Also, I did find out if you want to do your own at-home bikini wax with leftover Christmas candles, hit me up. I can give you that article too. Um, (laughs) Because Cosmo is good for that. And then- Yes. And then also um, the shock doc. Did you see this? Uh, uh, the but now I'm stuck on the candle thing. I'm like, you know, your punani is going to smell like pine tree, but also go on. Okay. Not mine. Mine's going to smell like <laughs> cinnamon. <laughs> That's Christmas. Those, those are my Christmas right. candles. Um, right. Pumpkin spice. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then also the shock doc uh, is a new, fairly new release documentary on the true story of Ed and Lorraine Warren. So, hmm. interesting. So from TonySpira.com, which links you to the um, Psychic Research Foundation that Ed and Lorraine Warren um, founded, Tony Spira mm-hmm. is their son-in-law. So from TonySpira.com. He says uh, uh, the Warrens dedicated their lives to investigating the supernatural to help bring an understanding of the other side to the forefront while helping bring peace to the families affected. Their work, the work that they performed and the events that they have encountered is nothing short of remarkable. The cases they have documented along with the relics and artifacts they have collected are considered to be the most powerful connections between the human world and the spirit world. Ed Warren was a demonologist. Lorraine Warren was a trans medium. They were not occultists. They were not strange. If you had the privilege of speaking to them, they would seem like normal folks with regular jobs. They were ordinary people who happened to do extraordinary work in a field that most people fear or don't believe. 
The forces they confronted are religious entities that, by their own admission, exist for the sheer purpose of opposing the works of God. Diabolical forces are formidable. These forces are eternal and they exist today. In a world that scoffs at ghosts and laughs at the unusual, the Warrens deliver a contrary message, and that message is this. The fairy tale is true. The devil exists. God exists. And for us as people, our very destiny hinges upon which one we elect to follow. Nice. Yeah. Um, and I completely agree. I um, Obviously, being fascinated with the paranormal for most of my adult life. I am very, very familiar with Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, Amityville Horror was probably one of the very first cases they were involved with mm. that caught my attention. And I think most of the attention of our generation. Um, mm. Yeah. So it, it's they, over their 50 year career, they've actually investigated thousands of cases of paranormal claims and phenomena. So um They were devout Catholics. Uh, they were famed paranormal investigators and um, what some might call the reigning king and queen of hauntings, both in Connecticut and in Hollywood. Um, they will be featured in the latest film about their exploits, The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, which opened Friday, which is a week ago this last Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen that yet? Or just like the first. No, of I minutes. told you. Like, yeah, I got into a couple yeah. minutes, and I was like, "This is not the jam for the mood mm-hmm. that I'm in right now." So. Yeah. No. I. It took me three days to get through the entire movie because <laughs> right, I was kind of exactly. like, yeah, "You really need to be in a headspace for these kinds of movies." Um, no, for sure. I finally had some time. You know, it's a small kid. You know, and right. it's hard to find the time to like get into those movies. Obviously, he can't be around at all mm-hmm. for that. So. Mm-hmm. I finally got a couple minutes and I started, I was like, no, not right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't, I'm not there. You it is be, a, you're right. You have to be ready for really it, do. you know, like get in the mood. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it, it, take me, it took me about three days to get through the movie. Not because it was boring, but like you said, you've got to be in the right mood for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really good movie. I really like it. The case is really fascinating. It is based, as all of them are, on a real family, a real story. Obviously, mm-hmm. Hollywood kind of takes liberties and makes it way more sensationalized. But, of course, I like it. I recommend it. Um, nice. The Conjuring Universe is one of my favorite, right up there with Marvel. Which, when I was doing my research, I actually found that the Conjuring Universe is kind of like critically and financially literally right up there with marvel wow really uh, yes they have so That's many shocking. spin-offs so there's all the conjuring movies then there's annabelle plus all of her spin-offs there's the oh. nun there's yeah there's and they're they're doing the crooked man is another one mm. there's a ton yeah so it's an actual like universe that's just right up there financially and critically with um Marvel, which I thought was really interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. So from an apartment in Hartford, Connecticut, where the real Annabelle lived, to a crime scene in Brookfield that inspired The Devil Made Me Do It, to the haunting in Connecticut in Southington, the Warrens, who are both now deceased, told tales that later were turned into movies, which collectively have grossed more than $1 billion dollars. Wow. Uh For a horror franchise, that's almost unheard of. That's crazy. Yeah, like Freddy, Jason, Michael Myers, 
none of them mm-hmm. did that. This couple and their cases and these real life cases that these movies are based on did that, which I think is absolutely fabulous. So Ed Warren identified himself as a demonologist and Lorraine Warren declared herself a clairvoyant and a trance medium. I'm going to go into what that is specifically in just a second. Um, They investigated alleged hauntings and wrote books, gave lectures on paranormalism, but I kind of want to get a little bit into who they really were, who these people were and what the basis for their beliefs and stories told, like what were they? So they were actually both born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, him in 1926, she a few months later in 1927. Um, Their son-in-law, Tony Sparrow, said in a phone interview that Ed grew up in a house that he believed was haunted. From the ages of five to 12, Ed would hear knocking sounds, um, knocking sounds, footsteps, shadows, names called out, and an old woman. What is with the old women ghosts? We cover a lot of shit where there's like an old woman. Why? Don't let when me become this old woman. Old. Well, yeah, but don't let me become this creepy old woman when I die, okay? Laura, that's your job. And mm. well, you're, what? Stop you now? Stop you then? Fuck off! <laughs> stop me now! <laughs> You gotta be more specific. (laughs) (laughs) So young Ed was terrified. His father said to him, there is a logical reason for everything that happens in this house. So essentially his father was aware that there was something strange going on in the house, but he never gave him a logical reason. Just said, there's a logical reason for everything that's going on in this house. Of course. Sure, sure. Why not? So Ed met Lorraine in 1944. So Lorraine, she noticed her clairvoyant abilities at a young age as well, around the age of nine. She remembered seeing auras around people, but assumed this was normal. And a lot of um, healers, a lot of empaths, a lot of people, certainly me, um, a lot of folks that I know, they do see light around people. And um, some of the more stronger empaths, clairvoyants, mediums can see the auras in like a rainbow color, kind of like in correlation with the chakras. Mm-hmm. I see lights, I see beams of light coming out of the top of their head and they're either very bright or they're very dim, but they're just sort of, yes, like, like, yeah. That's what I see in, in people. I see lights that are coming out from the top of their head. I don't know why that is. I don't see it encased around their body. But to me, the lights are either there or they're not there. And if they're there, they're varying shades of brightness or dimness. Um, so, so she remembers seeing auras around people, but assumed that it was normal. Um, when she was a child, she was going to an all girls Catholic school and she remembers, um, planting a tree for Arbor day. And Mm -hmm. when she did, she looked up in the sky and she could see the tree fully grown. It's branches everywhere, it's leaves. And she was looking at it and kind of marveling at it when one of the nuns came up to her and they asked what she was looking at. And she was like, I'm looking at the tree. And she was like, can you see the future? And, and Lorraine said, I guess maybe I can. Um, another instance where she realized that she was a little different was um, she was talking to her friends and they were outside 
I don't know if it was recess or I don't know what they had in the fucking forties, but um, (laughs) they were outside at this Catholic school and she was telling her friends, look at the lights around mother superior. They're not as bright as the lights that are around sister Joseph. And the girls are like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't see lights. Like, I don't. Yeah. But mother superior heard this and she took Lorraine aside and she was like, we don't talk about those kinds of things at the school. So that's when Lorraine wow. sort of, sort of, yeah, she sort of um, realized there was something different about her and that it wasn't great, or at least outwardly to everybody that like she was sharing it with, it wasn't great. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, as she got older at the time, Lorraine showed little interest in boys. She stated in her later years that Quote, I didn't have any interest in boys. I was concentrating on my schoolwork. And besides, boys were rough, not genteel like my brother Jim. Boys were too rough around the edges for me. But um, her friends decided to, they went out to a movie when she was 16. And they decided to introduce her to this usher at the movie theater. His name was Ed. It happened to be Ed Warren, her future husband. When she saw him, she thought to herself, gee, what a nice looking man. She later related how spiffy he looked in his uniform with his sharply creased pants and perfectly coiffed hair. She also recalled, and he smelled like Noxzema. Do you remember Noxzema? Yes. Oh my uh-huh. God, I totally used that in high school. <laughs> and it was a very strong smelling. Very astringent, sterile kind mm-hmm. of minty, mentally oh, yeah. to me kind of smell. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't see a lot of noxema in the drugstore these days, but he was also, he also worked as a lifeguard during the day and his shift would apply amp, a bunch of noxema cream to the skin because that would sue the sunburn. So he oh, smelled wow. like noxema. Right. Yeah. I added that just simply because I was like, I used to use that. (laughs) So so after the movie ended, Ed happily offered to walk Lorraine and her two friends home. As they walked, he told the girls he would buy them all a Coke. Um, When they got to the soda fountain, the two other girls ordered their Cokes. And at the time, the sodas were five cents each. When it came time for Lorraine to order her soda, she said, I'll have an ice cream soda. That drink cost 10 cents, which I was like, Okay. In later years, Ed often joked, Lorraine ordered an ice cream soda for 10 cents. I always knew she was a gold digger. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was really quite adorable. Um, After the three girls had their drinks, they all continued on their way to their respective homes. But Lorraine actually became worried because her house was the last on the route. And it would not be appropriate for Ed to walk her all the way to her house. After all, she had left the house alone. Again, this is the... late 40s right yeah you know what I mean um I thought Mm -hmm. I ain't leaving my house alone in the dark ever at all (laughs) um so she told Ed that she would continue on to her destination alone he nodded his understanding and um asked her for a date she accepted and then he happily ran across the street to return to his own home So she recalled in later years, when he ran across the street, I didn't see the slender man, young man of 16. I psychically saw Ed as a grown man, a man that I would marry. In fact, when I returned home that evening, I wrote in my diary, today I met the man that I'm going to marry. Which I thought was, yeah. 
So they were both 16 at the time when they met, and he entered the Navy on his 17th birthday. A few months later, the ship, so he entered the Navy and during World War II. So a few months later, the ship that he was on collided with an oil tanker in the North Atlantic. It became known as one of the worst shipping disasters of the war. A fire erupted, the ship exploded, all of the men on ship had to jump overboard. As Ed was in the icy water, he prayed for help from the Blessed Mother and was soon rescued when inexplicably the flames parted in the water and a Coast Guard boat was sailing up and picked him up, him and the man he was rescuing up. After that experience, he returned home and asked Lorraine to marry him. So after Ed's ship was sunk, he returned stateside, no, Mm -hmm. stateside, Sure, that's a word, right? Stied? Mm-hmm. Sure. On a 30-day... <laughs> on a, something in his eye. He was fine. It, it was fine. Um, on a 30-day survivor's leave. That's all they gave survivors after their ship was, ex- like, blown out of the water? Wow. Right. 30 days to think about it. <laughs> sure, right? Reflect. <laughs> mm-hmm. Change your life. Find God. Mm-hmm. Um exactly. So while home, Ed and Lorraine wed and became Mr. and Mrs. Ed and Lorraine Warren. The two were married in 1945. They had one child, Judy, who is married to, like I mentioned earlier, Tony Sparrow. So Ed, once he was um, done with the military, he actually, he had a talent for painting. And he enrolled in Yale's art subsidiary, the Perry Art School. His paintings depicted mostly haunted houses throughout Connecticut and other ghostly works. They're actually quite impressive. Um, Yeah, they're actually quite impressive. So we will certainly include some of his paintings in um, the post with, on Patreon. But he withdrew from the school after two years. (laughs) Laura is trying to manage her cat. (laughs) She thinks she's part of the story. And as we discussed, she's in the way. So she can't fucking jump. So here's what happens. She thinks she can jump onto my lap. She makes it most of the way and then uses her nails to make it the last bit. Yeah. My God. Not like in a hurtful way. Just try because she's too help my fat ass get up here <laughs> you know what it is when you're pregnant you can't even stand up and they couldn't tie my shoes i get it yeah but not awesome <laughs> then she hopped on my lap now and i was like no you have to go that's when you started yeah. laughing i was like mm, i made a face i was like oh, yeah. it got me yeah i was like yeah. you have to go so is she like comfy on your bed yeah she's yeah she found some there's like a shirt uh like a sweatshirt I had a uh, hoodie I had on like earlier like on the bed so she's like mm, I'm gonna lay on that it's black I love it <laughs> good, good. why are why, why are you wearing hoodies it's 112 there well in my house it's like 72 and sometimes it's cozy <laughs> I am the problem with the global warming <laughs> just to say sorry oh my god okay wow all right, so back to people with bigger problems. <laughs> Sorry, yes, go on. <laughs> Ed withdrew um, from art school after two years, and the couple set up a pop-up set up pop-up stands throughout tourist areas of Massachusetts, Vermont, Rhode Island, and coastal Connecticut to sell his paintings. But in 1952, Ed's interest in the paranormal went beyond his, his paintings and drawings. Um, 
So this is around the time where they founded NESPR, which is the New England Society for Psychic Research. So when he would hear about any report of a structure being haunted, he and Lorraine, who actually, ironically, was a skeptic at the time, um, mm-hmm. they would travel to the site to investigate. And he would stand out in the street and he would sketch the house and then paint it and then give the painting to Lorraine. And then she would approach the homeowners with the painting as a friendly gesture to say, oh, my husband loves your house. He thinks it's really beautiful. And he noticed that it was haunted. Here's the painting he did for you guys as kind of a gesture to get invited into the home, which in this day and age, would they'd be like, bitch, no. If they open the right. door. Listen, creepo. Mm-hmm. But back then it works. Mm-hmm. So the pair became stars in the paranormal believing community. Eventually, they, eventually they would go on um, to give lectures at high schools and colleges. Um, the money was good. They founded this um, New England Society for Psychic Research, which their son-in-law now runs. Um, then uh people started like hearing about them and they started calling them to talk about the odd occurrences in their own homes. So Hmm. some of the more famous cases, and I'm sure that you have heard about most, if not all of these, um, the majority of people who actually contacted them for help were families. They were the only ones at the time who were investigating such things. So by the 1970s, Ed and Lorraine Warren became known as the, quote, seekers of the supernatural throughout New England. Um, Mm -hmm. So a lot of their cases were, you know, simple cases of ghosts, people that needed to cross over, things like that. Um, Some of them were a little bit more serious. They were demonic entities. They were demonic possessions and things that needed to be exercised. So in order to exercise demons in cases that they came across, they had to get permission from the Catholic Church. So during their investigations, they made sure to take great care in recording and documenting the occurrences, the claims, interviews, the possession. So this is like audio recording, video recording, um, But even presenting all of that evidence to the Catholic Church was an uphill battle. Um, They always helped people that were in desperate need, and they never, ever took money for doing it. So some of their more famous cases, uh, Annabelle the Doll. I think we have all heard about Annabelle the Doll. We certainly covered that particular haunted object in episode five of this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, As a recap, in 1968, a student nurse is given a Raggedy Ann doll as a gift, and she brings it home where she lives with a roommate. Almost immediately, the roommates noticed strange occurrences with the doll, and they were introduced to a medium who told them the doll was inhabited by the spirit of a child named Annabelle. Kick this medium the fuck out. If a medium tells you that something is haunted by a child, get rid of the medium and the object. Uh, <laughs> throw everything off a bridge. Throw yeah. it all. Just throw all everything, everything off the bridge, including the media <laughs> and the doll. Right? Does everybody toss everything? Yourself, jump off. Everybody go. Right? Go. <laughs> You'll be happier. The It'll work out better that way. Yeah, a thousand percent. The two roommates tried to accept the doll's spirit and please it, only to have it reciprocate maliciousness and violent intent. 
This is when they contacted Ed and, Ed and Lorraine Warren. And when they came in and they did their investigation, they pronounced the doll as demonically possessed. It's very common for a demon to try to gain the trust of a human by acting Pretending like, to be a child. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Pretending to be a child. And what is the most... Um, uh, that's such an evil thing to do because what person is going to turn away a child? What what person is going to not want to help, a, especially the ghost of a dead child? You right. know what I mean? So that's just... Yeah, it's going to tug at your heartstrings. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, and that's, that's why they do it. Mm-hmm. That's why they do it. So um, Ed and Lorraine Warren removed the doll from the house and encased it in a glass box in their home to contain the evil spirited entity. Um, Again, if you want to hear more about Annabelle, we covered it in episode five. (laughs) Next up, the Perrin family. So uh, Annabelle, good old Annabelle happened in 1968. The Perrin family happened in 1971. Situated in Harrisville, Rhode Island, the home owned by the Perrin family was said to be haunted by a witch, which we also covered the Harrisville farmhouse in episode... Something, something. Something, something. (laughs) We covered it, I promise. Um, The episode is titled The Harrisville Farmhouse. Um, So the home was owned by the Perrin family and was said to be haunted by a witch from the 19th century by the name of Bathsheba Sherman. Based on the Warrens' research, the witch cursed this particular piece of land so that any inhabitants would eventually suffer a painful, untimely death. This is the case that actually inspired the 2013 film, The Conjuring, which Lorraine Warren was a consultant on. Ed had actually once stated, when I go into a home, I'm not looking for devils. I'm not looking for ghosts. I'm looking for a natural explanation of what is going on. So um, if you follow, if you're a huge fan of The Conjuring universe and you're a huge fan of Ed and Lorraine Warren, like, I mean, I don't know about you, Laura, but when I see a movie that I really think is fascinating, I want to look up everything about it. Is it based on a true story? Let me know the director. How is it written? Like, I'm just, Mm -hmm. IMDb is one of my favorite sites. I use it all the time. All the time. So it's kind of become known since 2013 that the parents had a falling out with the Warrens. And here's what happened. Um, What soured the relationship with the Warrens and the parents was that uh, while they were investigating this house, because the parents did reach out to the Warrens for help. Mm -hmm. Um, but what happened was that together they decided to hold a seance in the hopes of finding a name or a motive for why the haunting is happening. Well, and never a good idea, but go on. Never a good idea. <laughs> right. but no, don't do it. Mm-mm. The mother, Carolyn Parent, who in our episode, Archie and I are like, this is like the most dedicated wife of all motherfucking wives. Um, because this Bathsheba Sherman seemed to be really fixated on her husband, Roger. And um, she wasn't having it. Carolyn was like, bitch, this is mine. Where I was like, bitch, you can have him. (laughs) (laughs) But that's why she was married forever, and I have never been. Um, I will let a ghost take you. If you marry me, I will not fight a ghost for you. (laughs) 
So Carolyn Perrin was very Sorry, next. Next. Thank you. Next. <laughs> Let's play Ariana Grande right now. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, she knew what was up. She knew what was up. So Carolyn Perrin was all for the sands. Roger, not so much, but his wife wanted to do it. So he went along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, during the seance, some unseen force picked up the mother um, from her chair and threw her to the ground and shoved her into a wall. So, naturally, everybody's freaked out. All of a sudden, Carolyn, she starts speaking in strange tongues. So to the Warrens, she's clearly been possessed by whatever is in the house. And her Mm -hmm. husband, Roger, is obviously terrified. um, And he runs to her to help her. But Ed stops him. Because he knows that if Roger interferes, he too could be in serious danger. So he wasn't stopping him to be like, no, no, let this bitch just fucking go to hell. He was stopping him because he was like, you're about to get really fucked up too. Um, However, angry uh, Roger punched Ed Warren in the face and um, he kicked Ed and Lorraine out of the house and they were never allowed to return. So that's kind of like where the, the truth and fiction kind of get blurred where, you know, like I haven't seen the movie, the conjuring in a really long time. It's a fabulous movie. It's the very first one. Mm -hmm. Um, It was done so well. And, um, but then of course, once it comes out, then people start to research the real story. So then they find out that the parents kicked Ed and Lorraine out. And then there's this whole, um, kind of conspiracy theory about how they're frauds, they're charlatans, they're making mm-hmm. shit up, they're blah, blah, blah. Um, right. I have been very, very fortunate through um, my connection with Entity Voices and just the podcast and, and the friends that we have made. I've been very, very fortunate to um, with watch interviews with Andrea Perrin, who is the oldest daughter, one of the oldest daughters in the Perrin family. Um, and she and I are actually friends on Facebook now. Uh, I watch oh. her show, which my friend, Tony Rathman, is a producer of her web show every week. Um, nice. Yeah. So I've been very, very fortunate to kind of hear the truth. Um, she's oh. written a number of books about this house, the Harrisville Farmhouse, where she talks about what it was actually really like to live there after this whole chaos with the Warrens and the initial, you know, shit going on, that family actually lived in that farmhouse for another 10 years. Um, Ah, Some are, mm -hmm, yeah. So um, some articles that you read will say that they couldn't afford to leave. They were just renting it. Um, Some, so, but they would say they couldn't afford to leave or what have you to hear Andrea tell it they kind of just sort of made their peace with the hauntings that were going on. They really loved living there. It was peaceful. It was tranquil. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful. It was, you know, that when the kids grew up and they moved out and the family decided to leave the farmhouse, some of the spirits actually followed them when they moved to, I think, Florida, somewhere here in the South, Florida, Georgia, maybe. Um, Some of the spirits in the house followed them. Um, I can't remember if they stayed with them or if they just kind of like went to see them off and make sure they were okay. But um, 
and it was a welcome sight from the parent family. It was just one of those things after living there for okay. 10 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, Hollywood's going to sensationalize the horror and the scare. Moment. Right. Yeah, of course. Otherwise, it wouldn't be this like horror. Be a good story. Right. It would exactly. just be like, hey, we're friends. That's cool. Bye. Nobody thinks, you. yeah, no, that's not fun. In the end, everybody's no, fucking not. singing small world together. No, that's right. not nobody fun. wants to be friends. Nobody wants to hear like, that. Yeah. So I thought that was really fascinating. I think if you guys um I tried to to share her um, uh, links every her shows on every Wednesday on Facebook mm-hmm. and YouTube, and I try to share them to the podcast page. Um, I think you should watch it. She's a very very spiritual woman. She's a very lovely woman, and mm-hmm. um, I think that's pretty tremendous. Think considering what she grew up in, so um, yeah. I find her a huge inspiration. But that is the actual true story of what happened with the Warrens and her family. Mm-hmm. I, I, I see both sides. You know what I mean? I see right. both sides. I think they're anyway. helping, but it didn't work out. Right. Right. Exactly. Good intentions yeah. on both sides just didn't come together. Exactly. Yeah. So in 1974, the Warren's family friend and psychic Mary Pascarella contacted them and informed them of the paranormal activity um, located <laughs> in Bridgeport with residents Jerry and Laura Gooden and what they were experiencing. This would become known as the Lindley Street Poltergeist. This was the very first case where Ed and Lorraine Warren were kind of thrust into the media. Um, once news got out about the poltergeist affecting the house on Lindley Street, crowds actually started to form outside the house. Um, this was the very first case, like I said, where they experienced a huge media presence while they tried to conduct their work. Um, mm-hmm. What was interesting about this one that I thought was police that had been called to the house, because obviously Ed and Lorraine Warren were the very first fucking call they made. This Mary Pascarella, this wasn't the first bitch they called. She was going right. in their house. They called fucking the police. Right. The police think something's get something's happening. Right. The police get there and they're like, uh, we know they see their young daughter being tossed around in a recliner, the TV falling off of its stand of its own accord. Mm-hmm. Now again, 1974 is this fucking big box TVs. It's not like the flat, huge, heavy fucking TVs. No one's touching it. And it's just, just, just pushed off its TV stand. Um, pictures flying off of the walls, um, the refrigerator is moving. It's moving, like sliding across the floor in the kitchen. Um, remember the recliners from the seventies? They were like big oh, yeah. and heavy. Like you almost had just to like, like your entire body just to fucking recline it. Right, and her TV was like a piece of furniture. Like it uh-huh. was, at yeah. least ours was like encased in hey. wood. Like, <laughs> it was its own thing. You didn't yeah. need an entertainment center because your fucking TV was encased. Like it was a piece of furniture. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so all of this heavy fucking furniture in 1974 is just kind of slip sliding all over the goddamn place. So the police, not knowing what the fuck to do, they call the fire department. Fire department gets there and they see the same stuff. And they're like, uh, 
we can't help this. We don't have a hose for this. That doesn't. We don't have a hose. <laughs> I don't think the force of our hose is going to push this refrigerator back, this 450 pound refrigerator back into its little corner. Um, so it was this huge, huge thing. Police officers, fire, um, firemen, uh, uh, the city engineers were called out They because they wanted to check the house wow. to make sure, was it a gas line? Was it electrical? Was it mm. something? So they go in. They witness all of this shit going on in this house um, until the police were like, you need to get out of here because this is dangerous and threw the city engineers out. Um, they all witnessed the same things and they all gave statements to either Ed and Lorraine Warren or the press that this is what they were seeing. That's crazy. Especially for crazy. the time, right? Right? Yes. 1974? What? The exorcist had just truth. come out. The exorcist had right. just come out. And you know what a strong reaction that had in the public and how people were fucking losing their minds. Yes. Yeah. So um, in the end, it was one of those situations where the chief of police ended up blaming the family's young daughter. She was 90 pounds. But he blamed the movement of a 450-pound refrigerator across the kitchen floor on her, even though everybody saw it move and she was on the other side of the kitchen. Sure. I mean, why not? It was interesting because the documentary had said that with him doing that, he not only kind of tried to... He not only... um, damage the credibility of the family, but his own police officers as well, who witnessed it just move across the fucking floor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, Zane's Zane's 85 pounds. And yes, he's quite strong, but he's a movement in a refrigerator. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So that was one of their first, like, thrusts where media into, like, a media spotlight. The next one, however, would just be a few months later with the story of the Amityville horror. Right. Yes. So we covered this in episode 58. Um, Mm -hmm. As a recap, in 1974, in the small Long Island town of Amityville, 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr., who I just learned died in March of this year. (laughs) So shocked. I didn't know that. Um, he brutally shot his parents and four siblings while they slept in their beds. Just one year later, George and Kathleen Lutz purchased and moved into the home for the bargain price of just $80,000, which I just bought my very first home and I would have, that is a bargain price, even in 74, um, which is probably fairly expensive. (laughs) Yeah, Um, it was. Yeah. Oddly, the house with the $80,000 also included much of the DeFeo's furniture, including the beds that the family was shot in. Why would you? Mm, Yeah. Uh, The Lutz family only stayed in the home for 28 days before being terrorized out of their home by a demonic presence. You can watch this reenacted by the beautiful Ryan Reynolds. I think I went on about him a bazillion hours in the actual episode we did on this. But this, um, I might have heard this before. I mean, just slightly. That boy, if he wants to shoot me, he can because he's beautiful. I'm kidding. Maybe. Kind of. <laughs> he's very, he's got my sense of humor. Like, I love how him and Blake Lively oh. 
oh my god rip on each other all the time they're they are literally like i love to watch their instagrams he is hilarious he's super hilarious um his tweets about being a parent are like and fucking spot on and hilarious and she's (laughs) she's she's wicked smart too and or witty you know they're so perfect they're great a thousand percent. Yeah. I see him much more with her he makes than, me laugh. than Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So in May of 1975, five months after the Lutz family left the home, Ed and Lorraine investigated the home along with a news crew to document the findings. During the investigation, an infrared time-lapse camera picked up an image of a demonic boy standing at the bottom of a staircase. Do you remember this? I showed you and Archie this picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's creeps. It's super creeps. Um, The Warrens concluded that the house was inhabited by an evil supernatural entity due to its violent history. However, it's worth noting that she didn't pick up the spirits of the DeFeo family in it. Mm -hmm. Which, uh, of anybody you would think, would be haunting the fuck out of that Right. Right. So Lorraine and Ed actually stood by their experiences in that house with that seance in those investigations until the day that they died. So that's kind of, I I think that's kind of saying something. I don't, but that's just me. Like I wouldn't, I would still like profess my honesty and you know what, until if it actually happened to me, I'm going to fucking shatter from the rooftops until I die. Right. You're never going to change your story. It's going to be... And they never did. It was always the mm-hmm. same fucking story. The flip side of that is, of course, you're going to, because your reputation's on the line, you're going to mm-hmm. memorize it, you're going to, you know... Well, and in their case, they were giving it so often, it probably was the same kind of canned thing. At some point, you have to just probably. do that, you know? Because right, right. Yeah, for sure. So some aspects of Ed and Lorraine's account of this case was actually portrayed in the opening scenes of the 2016 film, The Conjuring 2. Um, Though not featured in the book by Jay Anson or in the movie, The Amityville Mm. Horror, they're instantly made famous by both, which I thought was really interesting. Um, Yeah. So after this, they gained popularity in the mainstream media, and they even appeared on popular television shows such as The Merv Griffin Show, The Tom Snyder Show, A Haunting, and Scariest Places on Earth, which is one of my very favorite shows. I watch it every year at Halloween. (laughs) So as their notoriety grew, the Warrens expanded their audiences through media appearances, speaking engagements, engagements, and college lecture tours, all to try to prove that the devil was real. The Warrens continued to make television appearances throughout their career, and Lorraine actually had a cameo in The Conjuring. Did you know that? I don't remember I that. I didn't, actually. I don't yeah. know. I'm like, I need to go back and watch that. Um, they became in high demand for interviews, speaking engagements. engagements. Why can't I say that fucking word? I don't know. Speaking engagements and more college lecture tours. They truly wanted to warn and educate people. Once you open a door up, it's exceptionally difficult to close it. Um, also, it's it's worth noting that they did not just take anyone's word when they said they were experiencing paranormal activity. Ed would mm-hmm. actually go to the scene and use every 
avenue available to him to rule out all logical explanations before moving forward with the case. In an attempt to quiet critics about herself, uh, Lorraine Warren underwent testing by parapsychologists at UCLA led by uh, UCLA tests led by Dr. Thelma Moss. After going through a barrage of tests, they determined she was what is called a light trance medium. So there are two different kinds of trance mediums, a light mm-hmm. trance medium and a deep trance medium. A deep trance medium will have the spirit guide or spirit talk through them and kind of tell them like the history or the situation um, that had happened in the house. Let's say, for example, this is not what happened in Amityville, but let's just say, oh yeah, you know, the spirit did overwhelm Ronald DeFeo and whatever. Mm. So the guide will talk through the deep trance medium to explain what happened during a particular event. At the end of that, when it's done, the medium isn't going to, when they wake up and they come out of the trance, they're not Mm -hmm. going to remember what they said, what they did, what they heard, or what they saw. Okay. It's almost like a trance. Exactly. In a very deep trance. They're just kind of taken over by their spirit guide. And then that's just it. And then it goes out. Okay. Right. Kind of like automatic writing. Lorraine is a light trance medium where she was always very aware of what was happening to her very aware of what she was seeing, very aware that she had been, you know, witnessing events in the past and very aware that she was leaving her body. So she was in a trance, but it was a light trance. So she was still kind of connected. If you want to kind of picture Mm -hmm. maybe an umbilical cord to your soul in these Mm -hmm. events, she was what was, she was still kind of connected. That's a light trance medium, which is what she was found to be. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, uh, in 1981, um, <laughs> one of their most controversial cases was the murder case of Arnie Johnson, who stabbed to death his landlord, Alan Bono, in the Devil Made Me Do It case. And that's what The Conjuring 3 movie is about. <laughs> so, um, I'm not spoiling anything for you, Laura, because, I mean, it's it's... It's out there. It's out there. It's out there. It's like Um, watching Titanic. We know what's going to happen. Go on. Exactly. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. The boat sinks slowly and everyone is saved. Of course. Leo doesn't die. They can all get on the door. Yeah. (laughs) Leo doesn't die on the door. door. Yeah. That doesn't happen. Um, So essentially, um, Arnie Johnson was the boyfriend of uh, Debbie Glassell. And she had an 11-year-old brother who um, through experiences and and things going on in the movie, which I'm not going to get into, became possessed by a demon. Arnie Johnson was present during the exorcism of this little boy. He was planning on marrying Debbie. So he was very kind of, it wasn't just like some random fucking boyfriend. He He was committed. He was committed, yes. Um, eventually he actually was later, but yes, he was committed to the relationship. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and he was there for a number of the exorcisms on this 11 year old child. Um, in, in it, he, in an attempt to save the child, because again, he was 18, this kid was 11. He really loved Mm -hmm. him. He was a little brother. He challenged the 
demon inside the child, take me instead. And so it did. Um, what ended up happening was, uh, uh, after several weeks, it wasn't just like, okay, I'm going to jump out of this kid and into you. And then I'm going to take you to your house and you're going to kill your landlord. It went, it was a kind of a manifestation over a number of weeks and days. Mm -hmm. Um, he did stab his landlord to death, Alan Bono. Uh, he was arrested and uh, <laughs> Ed and Lorraine Warren were there for the exorcisms of David Glassell. Um, so the family turned to them and they were like, if this isn't his fault, he was possessed. The demon that left the child went into him. It was a whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. So basically was there was stuff, stuff was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically they went and they found a defense attorney and they were able to prove to the defense attorney what had happened to Arnie Johnson to such a degree that this defense attorney put his own reputation on the line to submit a plea of not guilty by reason of demonic possession for the actual plea in a murder case. Um, So it was, it was really phenomenal. Uh, There's also a new documentary out called the devil made me do it. Um, mm-hmm. that they released kind of in tandem with The Conjuring 3, where they mm-hmm. actually interview Debbie Glatzel and Arnie Johnson yes. um, and the people involved, the attorney, everybody. They mm-hmm. And I'm halfway through it, so I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited. I'm probably going to watch it when nice. we're done here. But, right. yeah, um, long story short, it didn't work, and the judge shut that fucking defense line down hard. Mm-hmm. Uh and Arnie Johnson was sentenced to five years in prison for manslaughter, which I kind of have to agree with because think about how many psychos would be like, I was possessed by the devil. This right. guy got off. Why can't I? And then Ted Bundy's wandering the fucking roads. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. So another one of their most famous cases, which we are going to be covering in the podcast, is the Smurl family. The Warrens encountered a succubus during the paranormal investigation of Jack and Janet Smurl in 1986. Do you know what a succubus is? Uh-huh. Yeah? I've, I've dated a few. <laughs> <laughs> so have I. It's not. Fun. It's not cool. It's not great. <laughs> it's not cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a succubus is a specific name given to a demon that primarily attacks males. When the Warren's efforts to remove the succubus from the Spurl's house failed, this is what I found fucking amazing. When the Warren's efforts to remove the succubus from the Spurl's house failed, they reached out to the Catholic church and they were like, look, Here's our video evidence. Here's our audio evidence. This is happening to this family. Look at the scratches. Look at the cuts. Look at this. Look mm-hmm. at that. The Catholic Church wanted no part of them or it. No part. Mm-hmm. They were like, no. So this actually pissed Ed Warren off. And he decided to use his fame that he now had mm-hmm. to force the hand of the Catholic Church by holding a press conference detailing to the world what this family was going through and what the Catholic church said. Basically like, oh, fucking well. That got the attention of the Vatican. 
I was like, what? (laughs) So after this big battle with the Catholic Church, the Vatican finally gives in and sends Cardinal Ratzinger to do an exorcism of the house. Now, we may know Cardinal Ratzinger today as Pope Benedict XVI, who, yeah, yeah, who was voted in, voted in, do you vote? I guess, you know, Uh, it's a vote. vote. Yes, no, there's a vote. Mm -hmm. Who succeeded Pope John Mm -hmm. Paul II. Exactly. This is the Pope um, that also decided that it, he couldn't continue in. The he position. abdicated, which he is abdicated. Crazy, like so. It was like the second pope that had ever done that in the history of popes. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot. Usually there's they die in the position, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <coughs> it's for life. It's for life. But anyway, yes, we know him mm-hmm. as Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. After his mm-hmm. cleansing, the house never had troubles again, and neither did the family. Wow. Yeah. Hey, go so, on with his bad self. Go on with his bad self. Like he kind of maybe earned that boat, that white smoke. Mm. That was all for you. Um, right. So the other thing I found really interesting was that Ed and Lorraine were both very devout Roman Catholics. So even though they were going up against the Catholic church again and again and again, and again, they never. It's because they believed in it though. Yes. They, they were men that they weren't hoping because they believed yeah. that they could. Yeah. They never lost their faith. And I feel like, a lot of people, I feel like that might be easy for a lot of people to do, especially when the Catholic church isn't kind of practicing what they preach. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think they saw it as a political battle as opposed to like a, mm, yeah. a battle for of faith. centuries. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Ed was eventually recognized as the only Catholic lay expert on demonology, which is essentially wow. somebody who is not a Catholic priest. Mm-hmm. but an expert on demonology. I thought that was kind of, you know. That's interesting. Here's a cookie. You're, okay, you might be onto something. Here's a cookie. Uh, <laughs> Good job, a, little pat on the head. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to get one of the pretty purple satin stoles. Okay. You don't get a cool a, hat. But you, you don't get a cool <laughs> hat, but here's a cookie that tastes better than a communion wafer. Um, <laughs> not hard to do. Not hard Mm-mm. to do. Their devout faith included an inherent belief in the supernatural and a world beyond. The Warrens worked worked closely from then on with the Catholic Church during multiple exorcisms, and their faith played an important part in their investigations. Um, due to the massive increase in calls for help from the Warrens, they decided to train a team of investigators. And this wasn't any kind of like hey, let's go on a couple of investigations and then you're here you go out on your own. They interviewed a lot of these people that went through this school. Um, once the student, students got a solid handle on the job, sometimes between four to six months after, like training, constantly training for four to six months, then they would be sent out to locations on their own. Because I think that's really great too, because they have a reputation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they can't just be sending out any Tom, Dick, and Harry that's like, I believe in ghosts. And mm-hmm. yeah, my business card says goat hunter, but that's only because right. the, the printing company spelled ghost wrong and I couldn't afford to have their cards reprinted kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, 
In addition to their books, their media appearances, they also starred in their own TV program called Seekers of the Supernatural, which is obviously what they were called in New England. It was hosted Mm -hmm. by their son-in-law, Tony Spira. Um, They also opened what is now their famous occult museum to the public that included on display Annabelle. Uh, their daughter, Judy said that her mother told her to never look Annabelle in the eyes. She said that she's only been in there a few times in her entire life. And she is almost 71 years old and she never looks anywhere near Annabelle when she does go in there. It is, she says it is a very horrible place, very dark, very oppressing and a very heavy, scary energy in the room. In 2001, Ed and Lorraine went to Nagoya, Japan, um, at the behest of Japan to assist in the investigation of the Haunted Bridge, which I thought was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, Ed had actually served in Nagoya shortly after the war, and he had received the news while he was there that their daughter Judy was born. He took Lorraine to the same spot in 2001 that he had stood on when he got the news. He told Lorraine that he felt like his life had come full circle. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Shortly afterward, Ed suffered a debilitating stroke that left him in a coma for 11 weeks. He never regained who he had been. Lorraine took care of her husband, taking on the duties of a wife and a nurse, changing his linens, moving him so he didn't get bed sores, changing his catheter. For five years, he was debilitated. Ed Warren passed away on August 23rd, 2006. News of his death hit his family and the paranormal community very hard. Jason Hawes from Ghost Hunters on the Sci-Fi Channel said the world had lost an incredible person. After his passing, Tony Spira and his mother-in-law, Lorraine, continued Ed's legacy. And over the years, they continued to train people and educate people on demons. And he became um, an investigator and a demonologist. And, you know, it was it was really quite amazing the role that this man took on marrying into the family, really. Right. Yeah. Um, when one day they get a call from Warner Brothers uh, stating that they want to buy the rights to the Perrin family and Warren family case, in what would become the first installment of the Conjuring franchise. The movie is released in 2013 and grosses over $300 million. Just That's that crazy. movie. Mm-hmm. I it's a horror never movie. realized how successful they were. Yeah. Oh my God, they're amazing. I knew they were popular, but I mean, again, like you, we were talking earlier, like you think Halloween, you know. Oh my God, funny. yeah. You think, These classics, you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This took over all of it. So the movie and its sequels and spinoffs introduce Ed and Lorraine Warren to a new generation. On April 18th, 2019, at the age of 92, Lorraine Warren passes away. Her death left much of the paranormal community in shock and grief. It was the end of an era, and there were some of the original pioneers in this field and meant so much to so many, according, again, to Jason Hawes of Taps and Ghost Hunters. Tony Spera said that he never had seen a greater love between two people. They did everything together and were never apart. Their daughter, Judy, said one of the undertakers told her they have have security cameras throughout the funeral home. 
And there were orbs floating around her mother's coffin all night long, which I thought was absolutely amazing. Uh, Laura DiDio, who was a reporter who had actually contacted the Warrens for the Amityville horror case. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, quote, they were a very regular couple, very religious, and that was no act. Today, Tony Spira keeps their legacy alive through investigations and a YouTube channel dedicated to them. He says, quote, the legacy of Ed and Lorraine Warren is always do right. Always try to help others to prove that the devil is real, not just a mythic figure and that God is our protector. It's love and love for mankind. Jeff Bellinger, who is a paranormal investigator, said, quote, the Warrens blazed a trail that is still being traveled today by so many different paranormal investigative groups and TV shows, saying, I believe in ghosts. I believe we can document them. And I believe that they exist. And I want to tell others about them. They were doing it first. Now it's out in the open. And it's out in the open because of people like Ed and Lorraine Warren. No. So in closing, I would like to say that I am proud to say that I am able to do what I do now because of people like Ed and Lorraine Warren. And that is the controversial story of the Warrens. Nice. Very good. Very, very good. It's a good story. It's very interesting. It There's is a lot of stuff in there that yeah. I didn't know about their background and stuff. That's really sweet. Yeah, for sure. It is very sweet. I love that it's it's a love story. Um, and in my research, I actually <laughs> I actually read a review of the Conjuring, the original Conjuring movie, mm-hmm. that said the con that that movie is actually it's not a horror story; it's a love story, and it is. And when you listen mm-hmm. to the the episode that Archie and I did of the Harrisville farmhouse. It is a love story. It is about this man and this woman and their family and their hope for just like a normal, peaceful life. Kind of mm-hmm. like when I bought this house. Right. And the, the links that uh, a couple will go to, to kind of try to protect their marriage and their children and, and the life that they have. Um, I don't know. I thought it was really fascinating. I really wanted to do Ed and Lorraine Warren um, as a conspiracy theory because uh, like with all of this in the paranormal, like the podcast and me being a paranormal investigator and then mm. Teresa clairvoyant and he's a demonologist. And there's just so much out there that is so eager to prove all of this as bullshit that it just well, kind of makes you want to fight harder to prove right. that maybe you're fucking wrong. Maybe we're not. Maybe you need to open your mind a little teeny bit and let us show you through scientific methods how you might be a little bit wrong. People are so fucking scared or angry if they're proven wrong. Or just if their beliefs are challenged a lot, you know, people... Yes! And this is so... Because once you... Once you prove a ghost is real, like you said, so then demons are real or God is real, or there's a lot of stuff that goes into that, right? The afterlife is real. There's there's a lot of stuff that 
gets tied into that, right? Like it's right. just not one thing because then it kind of spills into every belief that everyone has about right, it. And, and like how they conduct their lives and the decisions that mm-hmm. they make and, and things like that. It's so um, existential, right? Like it just it turns is into very a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I I think this was a good conspiracy theory because there's so much about these people out there that is yeah. positive and negative. I mean, there's just a lot. A thousand of percent, yeah. Stuff that swirls around every single thing that they did. Right. Yeah. Good or bad. You're not right? going to get it right whatever. every single time. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. For sure. For whatever they did, what you know, good, sure. bad, ugly awesome helpful not helpful you know yeah but they were blazing the trail like you said so i mean of course there was no one to teach them or show them you know they were learning no. they were you know. right there was nobody to teach them like how to handle people that thought you were a fucking fruit loop right um which i have met so many people that are clairvoyants that can see spirits that can that have the same gifts that Lorraine has had and actually mm. say to my face, you're fucking crazy, Carrie. <laughs> oh, that's your problem. You're projecting on me. Okay. It's easier for me to be crazy than you to have a gift. Um, so it's, it's really kind of, um, I agree with, with Jason Hawes and Jeff Bellinger and, and these priests and some of these people that were interviewed in this documentary because I agree with them like it's just the idea and like you said I agree with you it's scary to think God is real the devil is real and this is like it I think that's why us bringing you on the show has been so successful because you're a skeptic and while they love to hear a ghost story, they're mm-hmm. also like, mm, it's a nice story. They're skeptics too. So I think you're just kind of asking the same questions that they're asking. And I love that. I, that's one of the reasons we brought you on the show. One, to challenge me right. because I'm a paranormal investigator. So it's my job to be like, okay, that's a valid question. But what if this was the answer? And how about this is a picture for the answer? Like skeptics are right. open-minded. Whereas a, a non-believer, you're never going to change a non-believer unless some life, like. Unless something happens to them. Unless something happens to them. And even then they're going to try to rationalize mm-hmm. the fuck out yeah. of it. Yeah. But I so think a lot of every paranormal investigator is a skeptic. But every but paranormal investigator is right. You're trying to disprove every single other rational explanation of what can happen. And I think when we tell the stories, I mean, like you said, you thought that. I think that you know the people right. that are listening think those things. Like, well, what could it be this? Why can it be this? You know, right, so we talk exactly. about it. Like, could it happen? It could be. Could this be bullshit? Sure, of course. Like, you know, that's why we yeah. talk about it because you want to think about not saying it can't be real or people didn't have those experiences. Right. Just like, okay, well, what about that? You know, we have to look at it from all the different angles. Right. Exactly. To be be even truly open-minded, even if you believe in it wholeheartedly, 100% and you believe this is real. Okay. But we still have to look at the whole 360 picture. Exactly. Exactly. To really bring it, to really make it valid. Which is why I love that you're coming along with us to some of these investigations. Like, the old hospital on College Hill. Um, 
I know we're going to catch stuff. I believe in all of that. I know we're going to catch stuff, Mm -hmm. but you're going to keep us grounded. You're going to keep us critical. You know what I mean? You're going to keep us thinking critically, but at the same time, you might actually be finding something that you wanted to find. Maybe once you find it, you're going to be like, I didn't want that. I lied. I was kidding. I didn't want that. That's not what I wanted. <laughs> but, right, but um, part of the reason I'm, I'm so excited too is because I, I like so many other people want to have an experience, you know, yeah. I haven't had something that made me go. Yes. You know, like 100%. Like I'm looking for that too. Like I want, like I'm challenging everything oh. to see if I can find that. Right. You know what I mean? Like I just want so to brave. have those experiences. Do you get that? Do you get how brave that is that you're challenging the beliefs you've known and grown up with? There's so many people that can't and don't want to, and don't think they need to do that. That's so brave of you. I'm I'm okay with being proven wrong. That's okay. Well, shit, I don't know the answer. That's not true. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I am stubborn as fuck. But I also know that I don't know the answers. Like, I don't know. I'm skeptical of what people say when they present it a certain way or whatever, you know, just like anybody else should be. I'm going to use, you know, rational thought and, you know, all of these things to be like, okay, well, you know, this might be this or this might be that. And I'm going to look at it through a bunch of different lenses. Like, it could be this, but it could be this, you know, but then going into these places, like, I want something to challenge my belief system. I want that, you know, like. I think that's amazing. And I think I it's think rare. You, I think you, to grow, you have to be like that, though. I, I agree. To open to experiences and you have to, you know, you believe in it wholeheartedly and you're going to look at some stuff and be like, mm, bullshit. Like, I believe in right. ghosts, but I don't fucking believe that shit. You know what I mean? But everybody has to be like that. You have to be yeah. open and, you know, um, skeptical and, and use critical thought and use your brain, really, just to, like, think about, think things through, think about things yeah. and also challenge yourself. Challenge I'm excited. Ideas. I'm excited. It's so important. I'm excited too. I think it is so important um, because I think we're all going to learn something there that we didn't know either about the field or ourselves mm-hmm. or each other. Um, I know that I you so and important. I have a plan. If it's mm-hmm. storming and there are bugs storming the hospital, we're going to leave Chris and Andre yes. in the building. We're going to lock and ourselves we're gonna in the car. We're going to go hide in the car. And then we're <laughs> we going to be like, yeah, we have plans. Um, mm-hmm. because we can't handle bugs. I can handle a ghost or a <laughs> demon or whatever the fuck, something crawling, <laughs> spiritually crawling. It's crawling on I the can't. ceiling. It's fine. If it's, it's, it's a crab walking on the ceiling, it's fine. Good. Good. fine. Um, but yeah, we do not have up, a, not up my leg. No, no, we do have an out plan. Um, <laughs> so we have contingency plans. <laughs> we do. It, it needs to happen. Um, so Chris and Audra, I know are probably listening to this. Sorry. It, it, it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> we're going to do our very best. <laughs> we're going to try real hard. Uh, everybody monitor the weather. That's basically all I can say is like, let's just kind of keep an eye on the weather. Um, and at any rate, uh, yeah, that was the story of Ed and Lorraine Warren. I like Laura that you and I went off on a kind of a tiny tangent big tangent well you know it's not the first time and certainly not gonna be last. <laughs> it's kind of our jam That's what it's kind doing. of our jam fortunately we have a six-hour drive from my house to old hospital <laughs> college and we have a lot a lot of time to rant about shit. we'll probably be talk- we'll probably be all talked out by the time we get there we're like just let's just find some ghost fuck right i can't <laughs> so I somebody else to talk to locked in a car <laughs> for this with this bitch for six hours 
Right. Can um, you please find somebody else to talk to. <laughs> she is just endlessly talking about her laser. Right. How does this Mothman? <laughs> anyway, um, we hope you enjoyed this, guys. Um, Archie is back next month with his conspiracy theory. And I hope it's good. I asked Jennifer if she thought it was good. And she was like, I mean, she's really like a super impartial person and perfect for the one keeping track of all this nonsense. Uh, Anyway, we love you and we will see you next month. Uh, We have major, major announcements coming your way by the time you get this or by the time Archie's actually comes out. Uh, we will be on YouTube, uh, but we do have a major, major announcement coming up for our 100th episode. Uh, mm-hmm. Super excited about that. Uh, and there's going to be a little bit of a contest, a la Friends, lightning round, mm-hmm. if you will, for Archie and Laura. And uh, when I told them what it was, neither was excited. But I am because the prize is because <laughs> it was your goddamn idea. This is my goddamn idea. And everything I dream up is pristine and perfect. Of course it is. Of course it is. Anyway, Laura, I love you. And I will love see you, you um, in a couple of days when we record the actual episode. All right, guys, that was it. Uh, Ed and Lorraine. Thank you so much. Let us know what you think, and we will see you next month with Archie's Conspiracy Theory. I'm sure it's probably going to be alien, alien-esque. What do you think, Laura? Probably. Oh, he did do the Toxic Lady, which was really fucking Yeah, fun. that was great. I don't know. He's been throwing out some curveballs, so. He really he has. has, yeah. So. He's been, yeah. He's been kind of all over the map. I love it. A little bit, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what he gets for not being here, as we talk a bunch of shit <laughs> and speculate all about him and his thoughts. Uh, anyway, Archie, we love you and we miss you. And we will see you all in a, another month with the next Conspiracy Theory. To that end, Laura, take it away. Give the warning. Um, I never do the beginning. Um, stay safe because you don't never know who or what is listening. There you go. Good girl. I remembered. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you.